Jim Martin, and I am hosting here in Little Things First. I forgot where I was for a minute, but I'm good. I'm back at it. And I uh, just wanted to welcome you all to today's podcast. We're going to be interviewing Stacy Green, who is an award-winning principal. But before we get there, I want to say that something is missing. You probably noticed there's no Tracy Mandy Venter here today. And uh, my dear colleague, Tracy, is just not available today. So we're carrying on without her. Uh, don't worry, she's well. And uh, she'll be with us in, on the next episode. But unfortunately, just not able to join us today. But we're still going to get some great information from Stacy Green about the little things that make a difference for an award-winning principal uh, in her school. So here we go. Hi, Stacy. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Doing very good, thanks. Nice to meet you, I'm Jim Martin. Yes, nice to meet you as well. Thank you for the invite. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm so excited that you um, have gotten this award. Tell me a little bit about the award that you just won. Well, actually we awarded it last April. Um, that's when we were notified we were the, um, I was the Kansas Principal of the Year, which made me eligible for the Kansas um, representation to the National Distinguished Principal through the National Association of Elementary School Principals. Um, under a normal year, we would have gone to Washington, D.C. that October, but because of COVID, we didn't travel. So NASP did a great job of folding the NDP award ceremony into the recent um, national conference. Gotcha. That's a mouthful, but yeah, that's that's the gist of all that. Yeah, because I just saw it on Twitter right now that you were, you know, receiving the award and so, but it's a year old. A year old, yes. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, well, strange right now, yes. Congratulations, that's <laughs> awesome. And um, tell a little bit about yourself. So I am, am first of all, a, a wife and a mom, and a, most recently a grandma. And then I'm getting ready to start my 36, 32nd year in education. Um, oh. So I'm actually blessed to be in the same district I started in. I've been in a multitude of roles um, and just grown through that process. And I've um, learned a lot about myself in, in that process. That's great. How long have you been a principal? I have been a principal for, this will be the start of my ninth year. Oh, wow. That's terrific. Have you been at the same school or have you moved to schools? Um, I have been at the same school. Yes. Oh, wow. Came amazing. in as an early childhood special ed teacher and then moved to first grade, um, transitional kindergarten, title one, reading specialist, and then most recently the principalship. Oh, that's amazing. So uh, was that, so you, you moved through all those different roles in the same school? In the same school. Yes. Is that weird to like transition from being like a colleague to then the supervisor, or do you feel like that was helpful? I think I think my transition was somewhat slight because I had been um, in the reading specialist and title one role. I had done quite a bit of instructional coaching and during that time had had several administrators. So I think during that time I had um, assumed a lot of responsibilities that might have been principal responsibilities in other buildings. So I think it seemed pretty fluid to me. And about that time, and we were bringing in several new staff members. So I think with that, um, hiring five new out of about 26, which about a fifth of our staff was new when I started, it didn't feel quite so strange, maybe. I don't know. Gotcha. So no, you took on a lot of leadership roles as you went. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's great. And so what school are you in? 
I am at Stockton grade school in okay. Stockton, Kansas. And is that a pre-K through? We were actually a pre-K seven building. We're oh, at wow. our two school system. So we sit right beside our 812 building and just in the needs of students and the staff licensure and um, moving kids back and forth between the two buildings in order to transition them, but also to save um, on the amount of student um, instruction time. We moved our eighth grade to that building, but not our seventh grade. So it's gone pretty well because we are right beside each other and our students can, they still, we still do middle school sports. So that still works well, but um, just in, in the face of saving instructional time, it was best to move them there. They're oh, not nice. big enough to take the seventh grade as well, or that would probably be more logical, but our buildings aren't structured. They're both old enough that they um, just can't hold that many students right now. I see. And how many students do you have? In our building, we have about 220. Oh, nice. Grade eight or seven, yes. Oh, very nice. That's great. Okay, so now just moving along, uh, what do you attribute your success to? Because, you know, like we've, we've talked to some award-winning principals, Tracy and I have, and um, a lot of times we ask this question and they really struggle to identify exactly what it is that they have done because they just, it kind of comes natural to them or I don't know, maybe, I, I'm not sure why they, why they struggle to really say, to pinpoint, put their finger on what it is that led to their success. I'm just wondering what your perspective of that is. I am grateful I had a little bit of time to process that question first. So I think for me, I'm gonna go with what came to my mind first and that was my own personal growth. And I think that through some coaching I have had personally um, has helped me be successful knowing where maybe um, I can lead better with the staff I'm working with and to try to recognize where my strengths are and where my areas are of growth has helped. And then networking has been amazing for me. I, I might be a, a, the one elementary principal in a very small district, but I've chosen to be connected. And that's through Twitter and um, through Voxer, through, again, through my Kansas Principals Association, as well as um, the National Principals Association. So I know at the drop of a hat, I can contact anyone I need to, to process ideas with, to learn from, to share. Everyone is so grateful to not keep everything that they know to themselves or things that they've aspired to do. And we just build and grow with each other. So that's wonderful. So you mentioned coaching. Does your district have a um, a defined coaching system for principals or did you seek that out somewhere else? I, I thought that out myself. That was just something okay. I knew um, probably the first time was about five years ago, just kind of hit a little bit of a wall and knew that um, I'm very service oriented. So I knew that um, I needed to just change some things about the way I led if I was going to continue doing this for a lot of years, because I had gotten to where I was spending a lot of time at school um, serving others, but forgetting where my own place was, as well as giving them the opportunity to lead. So with that coaching allowed me to, um, it's in, called inspired leadership, and it really looks at um, what kind of leader you are and where you can move up in those levels to be more of a win-win principal or win-win leader to help others um, be, become more leaders too and solve their own problems. So just a, a different way to question, a different way to um, maybe offer support, but not do it for them. Cause I was very much a, again, those first few years I was serving everybody and, and doing all things. I'm still a service oriented principal at heart, but I've just learned ways to enhance their leadership as well. Right. So that you're not having to take that all on yourself. Cause that 
can be quite overwhelming when you have you know people with a lot of different needs. And then you also mentioned um, networking. So talk a little bit about networking because I find that to be kind of a challenging thing to network in the right ways. So you mentioned Twitter, Voxer. Um, talk a little bit about how you approach networking. I think initially it started out through my Kansas Principals Association. I am early on became um, a member and then started going to our, our statewide conferences and just finding people with like minds and being able to know that, um, again, that service-oriented principles and action was a group I became a part of, just being able to get out of my office and spend time with students and staff so that um, I was more attuned to what's going on in the building. And then I think it just becomes very intentional that once you find those people you can lean on, that, that you do that. And um, sometimes I may do it frequently during the week, and other times I may go a couple of weeks without doing a lot of connecting, but I know they're there, or I know if I have a question, or I, I enjoy, uh, the Twitter chats as well, just because I think that makes me think outside of the box, makes me um, a little bit more critical of what we're doing um, and to either embrace what we're doing and we're going the right way or to maybe step back and look at some things differently that I might not have done if someone hadn't um, presented something in a different way or asked it in a different way. Nice, very nice. So what, based on your own experience, what are some little things that other leaders might do to kind of adapt your award-winning strategy into their own settings. I want to go back and at least I want to, 2017 was a pretty critical year for our district um, that spring. And we became one of the Kansas redesigned project schools, the first, one of the first seven in the state. And it was during that time that um, my leadership probably began to flourish more than ever be because we were looking at redesigning our school um, with support from the State Department, not financially, but with some with some leadership from some coaches, and really looked at a new vision statement for our district, new um, goals and new strategies. And all that was very much teacher led. And that's where I began I began to see a different side of the service where I could come along. They were doing the research. They were um, looking for different ways of changing. Um, learning for our students and specifically to students in this district, not necessarily across the state where a lot of uh, states might prescribe what has to happen. Our, our state did an excellent job of letting us create what was needed for us. So during that time, I think I go back to five things that have happened and developed. And the first thing is relationships and just very much um, in tune to at the classroom level, teachers' relationship with students. Um, we do a community-wide um, group meeting each day with our pre-K-7 mixed students. Um, with adults, they stay with that same community group, we call them, um, all through their seven years with us. So they have that one strong relationship with an adult all the way through. Um, my relationship with my staff, again, goes back to some of those coaching things I spoke about a little bit ago. So relationships very much a, at the center of what we do. And um, then we've really worked on our culture of excellence, knowing that, um, that excellence comes through not only the relationships, but in, into the academic success as well. And we, that's probably an area we have the most growth on. We're really at this building, focusing on our reading and, and improving those areas. So that's that excellence comes in. And we actually did a book study last year and um, used Jimmy Kosh's book, um, Live Your Excellence, and just talked about what we as a staff needed to do to better create that, that culture um, that we wanted our, everyone to come and go from our building and feel and, and live up to. Um, another thing I think is my communication style, um, just trying to be very transparent and um, with my staff, with my students and, and with parents and 
COVID probably helped me redefine that even more because, and even redesign when we went back to that 2017 year, we just learned we really had to be more transparent. And even though we thought we were communicating, we always weren't communicating. So very much trying to, to find ways to meet all parents in different platforms to improve our communication. Um, we've also through the redesign process talked a lot about data and making decisions that are data-driven instead of just how we're feeling or what we think might be happening, but very much going back to that either qualitative or quantitative data and making sure it was there before we made a lot of changes in what we're doing. And I think that's, again, something that's kept our building um, in a field of excellence. And then again, tying back to my final thing is that teacher leadership. I think that's just been critical. Um, they're, they're the boots on the ground, they're the hands, they're touching those students, they know the schedules, they know what the non-negotiables are and just very much letting them um, lead. That was one of the reasons I came into principalship is I got principalship, I got very frustrated. Um, we'd get good things going, a principal would leave, we'd last maybe a year on those um, wins that were still behind us. And then we'd start going back into silos and um, then we'd start back over when someone else came in. So again, the goal behind our redesign, but also my role as a principal is that if I choose to take a different um, role a year from now, not a lot should change with my departure. We've, we're very much focused on our vision, our goals and what needs to happen for students, but that shouldn't change when a leader comes in. Oh, wow. I love that. I love that sustainability piece because you're so right. Like leaders determine sort of what happens in a building and then they leave and then it's a totally different direction. And that can be very mm, disruptive to a school and a, a group of students, especially if they're making progress under one leader. Um, so what kinds of things have you asked teachers to do and for their te for teacher leadership? Because I, I think some leaders struggle with that. They struggle to know okay, well, um, you know, what do I exactly give out to teachers that is meaningful, isn't going to burden them because they're in the classroom doing that job as well? So what kinds of leadership responsibilities have you found to be noteworthy in your It becomes building? easiest when there's someone who's wanting that leadership, like you said, and, and they know they may have a gift in that area, they're passionate about it, that often is where... Um, you start growing that leader. When we when we did the redesign, and we still are in that process of, of designing school, but um, we chose two pilots and one of them came pretty naturally to leadership and the other one was a bit reluctant when I first went to her and asked her to be a leader because she didn't see that in herself. So, so I think with that is when you ask them to take that, then you need to come along beside them, um, maybe help them see things that they wouldn't naturally see that some leaders might, um, being able to um, process with them and again, that takes that relationship piece because that wouldn't happen unless you have that relationship with that teacher to help them grow into that and to know that there's going to be some bumps and bruises on the way, but that's part, that's part of it. There's nothing perfect out there. So um, again, I think about another teacher this next year who um, is going to take on some multi-age grouping um, to teachers new to our district and just trying to um, assist her with some skill building. Um, a lot of it's just helping them grow that confidence. And once they take that first step, then they get a little bit more confidence behind them and know that they can do it. Um, protecting their time, um, trying to, if they have some things they're working on that's um, for that responsibility, gifting them that time if they need it um, before school, after school, um, some, with some flex time there or uh, sub coverage, we've tried to do that. And that didn't happen so much this last year with the shortage of substitutes, but just trying to protect their time through that as well. 
So do you bring them the ideas, the leadership ideas, or is that something that they bring to you or is there a balance of that? I think it just depends. Um, a lot of times they bring it to me. Um, this last one is this one I just spoke about with the, the multi-age grouping and, and with the two new staff, I took it to her. But once we sit down and started processing it, then she started doing her own research and reaching out to other people who've done similar. And then, then she was able to, to start leading from that process on her own. Oh, very nice. So how do you respond to a teacher that maybe brings you a leadership idea and you're like, Mm, I don't really think that's what we want to do. Or, I mean, do you have, have you ever had that happen? I have. And I think, I mean, I don't think, I know for sure now it's much easier that our vision is very clearly defined. It's much easier now that our goals are clearly defined and that we have strategies in place. And if it doesn't align with any of those, then we know we need to look at it a little harder, but I'm, I'm pretty much a yes person. So if they bring me something, we may, um, pilot that. Um, if you look at the design process, it's, it's not piloted, but it's that time to um, give it a try. And I'm just, I've lost my word right there, but I'm um, looking at my cheat sheet over there. I can't see it, but that <laughs> pilot during our first time, try it on a lower, um, you know, in a grade level in a class, how does it go? Show me some pros and cons, show me some things or why. So just usually that questioning piece. I'm, I'm, I very rarely will say no, because I, again, I trust the people who are here and, and, and if they've brought it to me, there must be some value in them experimenting with it or looking into it. Right. And that can really quash that leadership that you're trying to, you know, build up if you say no, right. I them come to know on their own um, yeah. research or to give it a try and find out maybe it wasn't as cohesive as an idea as they thought it was initially, but um, yeah. So um what is your vision at your school? You, you mentioned vision and, and really looking at, I think that's so important when somebody brings you an idea to say, okay, well, let's kind of look at how it aligns to the vision that we've all been part of creating and that we're all owning. So what is your vision? Our vision is we are tiger ready and tiger is our mascot, but it also is an acronym for our touchstones, which are um, six character traits that our district and um, all stakeholders um, worked on seven years ago. So those strong character traits that we can tie back to every part of their day, um, uh, both um, successes and areas of growth. Um, I even had a parent, we laugh about this still, last fall at a volleyball game, I had a parent say to me, oops, Mrs. Green, I just about lost a touchstone. Um, he wasn't being very respectful to what had happened on the court. So, I mean, when it becomes a community awesome. of leaders, tying to those six touchstones, that's who we are and preparing our students. That I is innovative, again, um, we do a lot of things in this small district that people wouldn't think would happen in a rural school because we, we, we're thinking outside the box. We're very personalizing our learning for our students. Um, some, a lot of civic engagement, um, project-based learning. We pretty much overhauled what we did with whole group and have very little of that going on and very focused on, on innovation piece. The G is grit. And again, I think that speaks for itself, but just knowing that when we looked at our post-secondary success data, that we had some students that would finish with their diploma and move out into that first or second year, whether that be military, um, four-year or two-year work history, just having the grit to, to stick it out and find out what they could do and, and work through some tough things that would come their way after being um, in a school setting. Um, e is empowering students. It's really hard to... Um, 
do all for them. So empowering them to lead. We have a lot of teacher, or excuse me, a lot of student leadership opportunities so that empowering them to be successful and not just doing for them. And that comes from me too. That goes back to that teacher leadership, but I can empower them to do the work instead of doing it for them. And then the R's are relationships. So again, critical to everything that we do and, and know through our trauma um, responsive work um, and through all the things we're doing to support our students with mental health and, um, and our families and, and changing that part of it, that that relationship piece is very critical. That's awesome. I missed the T. What was the T? He was the touchstones. Oh, okay. Which are all of these touchstones? No, the touchstones are actually six different. Um, it's creativity. Oh, um, and I see if I can rattle them off here at the end of the day here. I've been in eight hours of a Zoom meeting on pathways for reading. And so I'm going to clear my brain this year. But our six touchstones are respect, responsibility, um, honesty, creativity. Oh, my goodness. This is really embarrassing. I'm not going to come up with my last two. Sorry, Jane. That's all right. I'm at a brain we day. Can cycle back. And I kind of caught you off guard anyway. I should um, know this though. We've been living them for seven years. I'm just, I sometimes have to write them all out here. So um, how did you get to, I mean, that's a lot of stuff that you mentioned there with Tiger and with um, those touchstones. Uh, you mentioned, you know, design, kind of a design thinking approach, piloting things. Um, you mentioned some trauma-related uh, support that you provided to students. So how did all how did your how did you build the capacity for all of that? I mean, that has to have taken time, right? Because those that's a lot. I can go back in time to like that 16, 17 school year is really when we started seeing a change in our data with a number of students who were having just becoming dysregulated. We just started seeing more of our families um struggling and therefore parenting was difficult and kids were just not ready to learn because they didn't have the capacity to do that. So that's the, we started exploring some um, options there with better training our staff to be um, more resilient in meeting with those students, um, becoming more, more aware of poverty in our community, but then also how to respond to that. And I think for us, it was just an eye-opening that Yes, for the long time, we felt like we were just that little small community that had mostly middle class, and that shifted quite a bit, um, and we just needed to address that. So we started doing, even before we moved into the redesign process, we began looking at um, some work with Rebecca Pancras Lewis out of a um, educational consortium that's near here and having her help us go through a poverty, poverty simulation, begin to talk about what ACEs are, begin to look at, at the at just our student body and what we need to do next. At that very same time, we were starting a new accreditation process in Kansas, um, which um, ties back to its restructuring. And we knew rigor was another area that we really needed to work on. So that relationships and rigor is where this all started. And then Again, I go back to that time saying I had so many awesome things happening in our building, but they were still happening in silos. And I think that was attributed to an overturn of, of multiple principals and superintendents in that everyone just kind of stayed in their room and did their own, their own thing, even though we knew there were a lot of magnificent things happening. So that again, when we wrote our letter to become um, one of the redesigned schools, we knew greatness was happening in silos. We just needed to change it to a systems. So I can I can spend 15 to 20 minutes with you and rattle all this off. This is a this is a birth of four years that has been very sure. intentional, very focused, um, a big part of who we are today. Um, 
has come about with really clearly defining again, like that vision, the goals, and the, and then the strategies we're using to get to, to those next steps. That's great. Um, so what, how do you analyze data at your school? Do you have data meetings? Do you have PLCs? How does that work? Yes. And yes. And yes, we have, we, we talked a lot about, um, in redesign. Again, I just go back to that. And we're going to, the state's going to move away from the term redesign in the next year. It's just going to be designing schools. It's going to be a part of our accreditation. It's going to, going to be in the hope of all of our districts in Kansas by, um, I think it's 25, 26. But we have scoreboards. So if you walk down my hall right now, there's a scoreboard that's posted on the wall that has our goals and our data up to date. Some of that is in numbers, some of it's in qualitative with some pictures of things that are happening. Um, so we, we've done, we've gone so far as to put that downtown on our district window at times, um, but very much having it out for public to be able to see what, what our data is. Um, we meet in grade bands in our building. Again, this was something that developed from COVID when we went to um, online learning that March, April, May of last year, we found the best way to provide support to our staff was to meet in our pre-K two, three, five, and then six, seven grade bands um, through our state. They were giving us some guidance and that was the best way for, my, again, my staff leadership. I had a leader in each one of those bands that just kept meeting and seeing, what do you need? What are you doing? Um, sharing ideas. So we were, we all felt like we were still in contact with each other. So those grade bands still meet monthly. And that's the time that they look at their data, um, the ongoing data pieces. So that keeps that in front of us. And then every week on Tuesday is our, um, we call it accountability. Um, and while that might seem like a negative term, we've tried to really wrap our minds about it. It's, it's, it's accountability because we talk about what's going well, what do I need help with, and who, who do we come away from this meeting that might be able to help us if you are needing help? And that may not be me. It may be another co-teacher or another teacher who's doing something well. And maybe they just did a successful project-based learning and they can go in and help them. So we take all of our strategies and rotate those weekly into our accountability meetings. So we keep that in front of us. Just read a great book and he was a speaker at the national conference was Dan Heath, that upstream thinking. And he talks a lot about safety meetings that different organizations have. And it was my aha moment when I heard him speaking saying that's what our accountability meetings are. It's a chance for us to always keep putting back in front of us what strategies we're working on so that we can continue to grow and, um, and learn from each other and celebrate. Don't forget to celebrate what's going well also oh, i'm fascinated by this accountability idea so so walk me through it so you have this meeting and who would be around the table at the meeting it's it's our staff and we okay. do it in many different ways we sometimes sit we sometimes stand we might go out to the courtyard but it's basically 10 minutes that we bring let's say let's say today the topic is um personalized learning and everyone just starts sharing what's going well what if what share your celebrations of what's happening now the next question is what what's not going well. And so they'll share some things that they might need each other to brainstorm with. Um, I sit back and let my leaders lead this time. And that's a chance for me to just watch body language to see who's not talking that maybe should be talking so I can check back in with them later. Or um, last year we had what was called excellence partners, maybe touching base with their partner to say, hey, would you check in and see what's going on with them? Um, to make sure we're not missing anything. Maybe it's just an off Tuesday and they're tired and, and they had a late night before, but maybe there really is something happening that they need some more support with. Just check, wrap around with them to see one-on-one -on -one what we might be able to do to support them. So, so this is in addition to like a faculty meeting that you have. Is. 
Actually, I've stopped my faculty meetings. Oh, really? Um, I'll say more about that. So I feel like everything that we're doing in those accountability meetings are what's happening in our building. Um, I try to, if I can get it into an email, that's the way they're going to get it from me. Um, I've done a couple of video postings. I'm kind of tinkering with some other ideas of some ideas that were shared at the conference. But um, right now, if I need a few minutes at the very end of that accountability time to share something that's happening, I do that. But for the most part, we have a, a beginning of the year staff meeting and some maybe one mid and at the end. But my typical traditional staff meetings have gone away. Oh, very nice. And replaced by this accountability, which sounds a lot more productive. Yes. Yeah. And it sounds like your teachers would say that too. Is that I right? Very much so. It feels odd for me now to go to a staff meeting and be that one that stands up there and shares all this information. I feel like now we've collectively put that together already. So there's really not a lot that they need to know. Now that comes back to, there's a lot of layers to this. Like when I have two new staff members coming in to some training this week, I make sure I'm pairing, the, they've got their mentors already. They, they have that person they can go to to kind of understand um, the grays and things that happen in the school and find things and that. So there's a lot of layers to that relationship piece. But as far as me standing there and sharing information, that can be done in so many different ways that we can be more um, respectful of time. Very nice. What is the excellence partner concept? That that, again, that came from some teachers. I had two teachers who worked together at the pool last summer. They knew that our theme was going to be live your excellence. And they said, hey, what about excellence partners? So every quarter they drew different partners and they checked in on each other or they found out what their favorite snack was or, you know, just a chance to have somebody else to check in on them so that we knew we could grow excellence with each other. And we did oh, this wow. with all staff and they took care of that. That was just something that was their, that was their leadership from that idea. That can be so powerful. I mean, Tracy is kind of my accountability partner, kind of like an excellence partner where like I tell her about my goals and things that I'm working on. And then she checks in with me and then I'm like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to have to report to Tracy. I better do what I said I was going to do. So that's really cool. Wow. You have so many things going on. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, it's amazing. It's no wonder. I mean, I'm so glad that you were able to, to share these with us today because it's no wonder that you've been awarded the Kansas Principal of the Year. I mean, this is incredible, the, the work that you've done. What is um, maybe, a, I'm in a rural area, um, what is maybe from your perspective a misconception about rural areas that people have? Actually, we just put together a proposal for an upcoming um, convention or uh, conference and we, we're calling our title uh, rural and Resi resilient and I think sometimes um, while we truly do miss out on some resources we just have to become more innovative in the way that we still are able to deliver the same services so you know um, we are we are good four hours from our state capital and we always joke about how there's not much going on you know west of our state capital but just, I think, telling our own story. I think if we don't tell our story and have opportunities like this to share and brag on my amazing staff and students, then they're just going to, we're going to be quiet schools out here in Western Kansas that no one knows about. So I think telling our story, um, looking at resources in a different way, um, part of the amazing thing that's happened through um, 
our redesign is that we are open doors um, to other schools and, and teachers coming to visit. So when they come in and visit and get, we you know put a, together a schedule based on what they want to see, having our students share about our story and um, being in and out of classrooms, but then most importantly, being able to let them know, don't take what you saw here and go back and expect to plug that into your school get to know your students, get to know your staff, get to know your stakeholders and, and, and find ways to um, maybe manipulate that so it fits for you. So yeah, absolutely. I hope that answered your question there. I think we just, I, I think back to my first 20 or 25 years, we just sat quietly and, and we just did our thing and you'd hear the bigger schools getting all the awards and the accolades and, and the monies and, and those bigger grants and things. And I think now it's just knowing that um, we need to tell our story. Yeah, absolutely. Get the, get the information out there because otherwise people will make up their own story. <laughs> so, it's, it's interesting too, you know, in a smaller district, we have a lot, there's some, a lot of grace that goes with that too. You know, we don't have maybe, well, we don't have a curriculum office that's telling us exactly what we have to do when we have to do it. And, and we, there's a lot of teacher voice and the selection of resources and the, and the, the way we put our day together that in a bigger district, that wouldn't happen. You, you would get gifted to you or told this is the direction you're going to go. So I just sure. think a lot of growth that can happen um, in our smaller districts. And we just need to keep sharing that and bringing people to us. And lots of opportunities for teacher leadership, like you mentioned, because there are so many, so many, there's less bureaucracy, right? I mean, let's face it, in a rural area. And so it's a little bit easier to, to do the things that uh, at a teacher level that need to be done. Um, so what's next for you? Like what, what are your plans moving forward? ready to start another school year, super excited. It's, it's, this is the time of year you walk in the building and there's boxes arriving and teachers are getting excited. So for me, what's next is just anticipating um, an amazing school year and just knowing, knowing that we're coming back from a very difficult year and we still have a lot of unknowns for this year. Again, one of the benefits to being rural is our, our COVID numbers are very low. Um, so I'm hoping we can return to to whatever that norm, new normal might be. Cause there's definitely some things that we won't go back to, but um that's where I'm at right now. Um, if you do the math and you do the Kansas math, I could be eligible for retirement after this next year, but I don't see that happening right away. Um, I love being able to support principals across our state. So I'm very active in um, some mentoring roles. Um, and I love that piece of it too. That adult learner part is very important to me. So, so while I'll continue leading here, I'll continue leading in um, some opportunities I have throughout the state as well. Oh, very nice. And maybe those opportunities have increased since being named Kansas principal of the year? I think so. And I think just, again, just being connected in so many different ways that that helps as well too. That's awesome. That's great. Um, well, maybe superintendent is on your horizon. That is not on my horizon. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I actually had an opportunity for about six months to do an interim. And that might've been the best gift ever because I'm just, I'm just, I, I, need, I need the kids. I need the people. That role I don't think's for me. Oh, wow. That's good to know. Yeah, not it's not for everybody, for sure. So if you could travel back in a time machine, we ask this of all of our guests at the last, the last question. If you could travel back in a time machine and talk to a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give? Again, I think through my coaching, I've learned this about myself as I, I very much was um, that imposter syndrome, always thinking I wasn't doing my best, someone else could do this better. And now I've grown into being comfortable with who I am um, as a leader, knowing I'm going to make mistakes and that is okay. 
being able to be more aware in the moment um, and just take all that's happening in and to make my best decision and, and be okay with it and move forward from there. And I'd, I'd sleep a whole lot more because of that, because I know I, early on, I didn't do a lot of sleeping because I was always trying to please everyone to be at that perfection level. And I've just come to the, to the grace of knowing that that's not possible. And, and sometimes we learn our most valuable information by making a mistake. So that's what I would tell that younger self. That's awesome. That's really great advice that all of us can benefit from. Well, um, Stacy, I have really enjoyed getting to know you. And um, Tracy's going to be so jealous that she wasn't part of this because she loves talking to principals. She talks about that all the time on the podcast. I love talking to principals. I love talking to principals. So she just couldn't get away today, but she's going to be really jealous when she hears this back <laughs> that she wasn't able to ask uh, her own questions. So, but thank you so much for your time and um, best of luck. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share? Any parting words? Just wish everyone the very best this next year. I know we're excited to, to take those next steps and to, to amplify what went well and, and just to keep moving forward um, meeting our students' needs. So just best wishes to everybody. I think we're just, I, that's one of the things I took away from that conference. It was so amazing to, to become together with 1,100 principals who'd come out of the year that we had and to celebrate and to move forward and to just be so excited to, 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 to step into this next school year. I bet that was some amazing uh, all in one place, especially after, <laughs> especially after uh, being on most of the year. So, all right, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it and uh, best of luck. Thank you for all the great information. Thanks for I appreciate it. Yeah, you're an inspiration. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.